Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Children in Ukraine have been wounded and are traumatized by the violence. UNICEF is on the ground providing health, hygiene, and critical emergency supplies. Please go to unicef.org to donate now. Thank you. Welcome to the X-Zone. A place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back to the X-Zone. My name is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. If you would like to uh, send us an email, X-Zone at xzoneradiotv.com on all social media sites, X-Zone Radio TV. And um, if you'd like to find out about the broadcast schedule, we have 724-365 for the X-Zone Broadcast Network. Visit www.xzbn.net and on Simul TV. For the uh, Exxon TV channel, visit www.simultv.com and in the search engine, type in Exxone. My first guest tonight, Exxon Nation, is a gentleman by the name of Dr. Gibson Mitchell. And he's, uh, I'm sorry, Mitchell Gibson, and he is known as the Spirit Doctor. Uh, his main areas of expertise are spiritual growth, enlightenment, psychic, uh, spirit disturbances, spirit attachment, removal, and psychiatry. Um, if you'd like to get more information about uh, Dr. Gibson, visit tybro.com. And uh, Dr. Gibson, welcome to the Exxon, sir. Thank you for inviting me. I really enjoy being here. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Uh, you're a medical doctor, but you're also into uh, the paranormal or spiritual realm as well. Yes, I went to medical school at the uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, mm -hmm. and I did my residency at Albert Einstein Medical Center in Philadelphia, and I was chief of staff of a hospital in Arizona for a number of years, and I began having experiences with clients that really changed my perception of what reality was, uh, the concepts about what treating people medically were. And eventually, some things started happening just really made me stop doing medicine and start exploring spirituality full-time. What was that, sir? Well, there were a number of experiences over several years. I'll give you a couple of them. Okay. The first one, 
I was treating one of the Arizona mm-hmm. Cardinals football players, and uh, they were going through some marital problems. Uh, he was a, a big guy, linebacker. And he came into my office one day, didn't have an appointment, just balling. And you know when a 6'8", 250 guy cries like that, you pay attention. There's something wrong. Said, yeah. There's something going on. Yeah. He said, my father just spent the day with me. And he had he was in training camp in uh, Flagstaff, and he mm-hmm. had to drive down to the house to see his father. His father showed up unexpectedly. Well, his father had been dead for eight years. Okay. So... And- his his wife called and said, your dad's here. Mm-hmm. And he got there. It's about a two-hour drive from Flagstaff to Phoenix. Uh-huh. He got there. His dad was there eating, playing with his son. He said, his dad said, I have about a day, so we're just going to hang out, and I'm going to be here with you. They took pictures. His dad was there. Uh, he came in and said, doctor, what happened? Mm-hmm. That was one experience. Okay, now wait a second. Let me, let me go through this because this <laughs> yeah. is rather... Okay, the father had been dead for a number of about years. About eight years. About eight years, all right. This, the wife calls up the husband, who's two hours away, who's a linebacker, a big guy. Big guy. And t- says, your father's here. Yes. Okay, so I would imagine this kind of put the bit of a spin on this uh, linebacker's life at this time. He boots it very, back. Very much so. To his house. And there is his father with his wife playing with his son, sitting down and eating. Yes. Okay, they take pictures. Yes. Did any of these pictures ever come to light? I asked them not to. Why? Because he was an Arizona Cardinal linebacker star player. Then how do we know this is true? Because I believe the pictures, I believe, and if you had sat down with them... Mm -hmm you would see that it was absolutely true. I had to protect them. I understand that, sir, but I'm an ex-policeman, an (laughs) ex-detective. I need proof. This is hearsay. Where's the evidence? It's a great story. Don't get me wrong. It's a great story, and you'll have to take my word for it because that happened. But how how do we know that? How do the listeners know that? Well, that is one of the events that got me to quit medicine. It absolutely happened. I can't sit and show you the pictures because, I mean, that's confidential information. I can't give you their names. I have to protect them that way. Okay, but so let me that, get this straight. That, you that, can't tell us their name. You can't make a, You can't prove any of this claim. It is a fantastic story, if true. Okay. And I will give you that, sir, but I do respect your, your ethics as a medical professional. Yeah, as a medical doctor, you cannot discuss clients' mm-hmm. names or particulars of their sessions. You can't do that. That's just not going to happen. Um, now, you know, in your bio, you say you're one of the world's leading authorities on the interface of science, the human soul, and the frontiers of human consciousness. How does what, what does one need to do to become a leading authority in that? Well, you need to be invited to speak at some of the world's biggest organizations. Mm-hmm. I've spoken to uh, American Medical Associations. I've spoken to the Canadian Medical Association. Mm-hmm. I've spoken in Europe. I've spoken in uh, the Caribbean. I've spoken wow. all over the world. Okay. And I've spoken at some of the largest organizations that weren't strictly medical. Huh. I, I must tell you, I'm, I'm still a little boggled by your first example that you gave us. Uh, I, I've never. I've been doing this show for 30 years, and I've never heard of anything like this. Yeah, I haven't either. I'll give you another one. Okay. A little bit more perhaps palatable for you. Okay. 
Um, about five years before I quit, mm-hmm. I was treating a client. Uh, I was actually treating um, this client's uh, son, who was about 10 years old, and he had attention deficit disorder. But she came in one day crying. She said that her father had just been diagnosed with uh, renal cell carcinoma, which uh, which is a cancer of the left interior pole of the kidney. Right. And she wanted me to pray for him. So he came in and I prayed for him. It was a prayer I just learned from a rabbi in Los Angeles, Rabbi, uh, rabbi Berg, at the large uh, center in Los Angeles, the Kabbalah Center in Los Angeles. I prayed for him, and two weeks later, he went in for a staging laparotomy, which is an exercise or a a surgery where they go in, they cut you open, and they just decide what stage of treatment you need for the cancer. And the ultrasound before had showed a cancer that was the size of a tennis ball. When they went in, the cancer was not there. Not there. They went back a month later, did another ultrasound. He was still clear. When I left practice, uh, he was still clear. Cancer had disappeared. And that sort of thing happened about a dozen times. And that that combined with that first episode mm-hmm. really made me start looking at, well, something else is going on here, so I need to investigate further. All right, let, that, me, let me be the devil's advocate here again. The, uh, the prognosis that was first diagnosed of the cancer, was it confirmed by other medical professionals? Yes. In, di- in different, in, was, in other, in other hospitals as well. Yes. Oh, and any way of explaining this? There was a healing that occurred that I can't fully explain, but it occurred, and it wasn't the it wasn't the last of that sort of mm-hmm. of that genre of healing. Now, do you do you believe that you were the agent of the healing? I believe that prayer and energy have mm-hmm. the capacity to heal. Right. And I believe that it can be a gift just like any other gift, like a musical gift, like an athletic gift. Right. I believe that certain people among us have different capacities for transmitting that energy. Now, prior to, um, prior to you getting involved with this first case that we talked about, had you had any experiences of the similar nature? Yes, quite a number, hmm. starting from the time I was a child. So what was it, why did you decide to go into medicine instead of following your gift that you seem to have had since a very early childhood? Well, I started out, college. I got a full ride to college, mm-hmm. and I started out as a business major. I hated it, absolutely hated it. Um, and my best friend at the time also was in uh, business school with me. He decided to go in pre-med. Mm. So I actually followed my best friend, Morris, into pre-med. And we both graduated. We both became medical doctors. And I did it primarily because I grew up extraordinarily poor. And yeah. I didn't want to risk ever having to look at unemployment again. And as a medical doctor, you have absolute job security for the rest of your life. I guess so, because everybody gets sick once in a while, Everybody does in one way or another. All right, doctor, please stand by. You and I have to take our first break. And Exxon Nation, our guest this hour is Dr. Mitchell Gibson. His website is www.tybro.com. And we'll be back. On-
Explanation, our, our guest this hour is Dr. Mitchell Gibson. His website is, all right, do you have your pencils and paper ready? Tybro.com. Um, I, I must tell you, doctor, the first story you, you shared with us still boggles my imagination. How do we explain this? How do we explain somebody coming back from the dead, interacting with family members, sitting down and eating a meal, being photographed, his picture being uh, captured in a photograph. How do we explain this? Well, the, the, the term that I would use for that is revenant. Revenant? R-E-V-E-N-A-N-T. And revenant is actually an ancient term, an old word that describes people who come back from the dead in physical form. Um, it's not an unknown phenomenon. Actually, it's uh, very well documented in many places all over the world. Most, time, most of the time when people think of a person who's passed, they think mm -hmm. of some thin, ephemeral image of a person, scary looking, disappearing and appearing. But there are a number of cases, hundreds of them actually all over the world, if you take a look, where people come back in physical form, they make love to people, they eat, they sleep, they stay around. Um, that phenomenon is not unknown. I, I, I understand that, sir, but how do you document this? How do you prove it with all of these examples? How do I prove no, it? How, how, do, how do the people who have these experiences prove them to be There real? are people that, I mean, you can go online and you can see people that have taken photographs. You can yeah. see people that have taken videos. You see, see people writing about it. And a lot of people don't like to talk about it because they run into the same skepticism that you have. They it's, say, well, I don't believe that. I need to have it proven to me. But, but what, is wrong, <laughs> what is wrong with skepticism? And what is wrong with asking for proof when somebody makes a claim that is next to impossible to believe? Because the impossible happens. And, and you like, can call it impossible, but at the same time, there are events in this world mm -hmm. that happen despite what the mind believes. Excuse because our, our reality... Mm -hmm is beyond quite often what we can understand. But there's also an expression that says bullcrap baffles brains, doctor. And in today's, is, in, in today's digital world, it's very simple to perpetrate a fraud. That is true, but this is not something that I have to prove to you. These are things that are happened. I have to keep my clients confidential. These are things that are happened, and these are things that happen all over the world, and they didn't start with me. They are well-documented all over the world. Take the time to look it up. Don't be skeptical without doing your research. Well, you know, doctor, then, like I said, I've been doing this show for a good conversation. So you're saying we're not having a good conversation? Well, you're not being open-minded. You're being skeptical. No, sir. I'm being direct. I'm being a journalist. I'm asking hard, riveting questions. And as a journalist, you need to do the research on the topic. And Look you have to convince me as a guest. Well, like I said, I can't convince you because okay. I can't give you names. All right. Let's go move on then. Let's move on. Let's move on. Um, now, I understand that you were, you were very young when you had your first experience with a ghost? Yes. Tell us about that. Well, my grandmother used to take me to funerals. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes older black women, that's their main social outlet is going to people's funerals. And I went to probably a couple of funerals every week. Oh, my heavens. And... Uh, one night after one of the funerals, one of the people that was in the funeral uh, showed up in my room in the corner and just stood there looking. I looked at him, he looked at me, and I 
ran screaming to my mother. I said, I see this man who had just passed. Mm -hmm. And that was my first time seeing um, a ghost. How did you feel? Terrified. I was about seven years old. Mm -hmm. And I know I saw this man laying in a casket. He was a military man, young boy, maybe 18, 19, had died in Vietnam. Right. And, you know, there he was standing in his suit looking at me. It was terrifying. Was he uh, was he transparent, or was he the full-bodied apparition as the... Full-bodied apparition. Wow. Did he... Full-bodied. It didn't look like... I knew he was dead, but right. he didn't look like a ghost. Did he make contact with you? Did he communicate with you? He didn't say a word. Really? Didn't say a word. I didn't know him in life, and he mm. didn't know me, but he knew that I could see him, and I think that got his curiosity. How, how do you know he... He knew he you could see him. Well, we made eye contact. Oh, you did. Okay, all right. There were no words, but we certainly made eye contact. And was that your? How long after was your next ghostly experience encounter? Well, there was another experience uh, where I was walking through the woods, and I lived when I grew up. I was living in the south, mm -hmm. and there were a lot of old toba abandoned tobacco barns right. in in that area. And I was walking through one of the barns, and for some reason, there was a fully ungathered um, load of tobacco still in the barn, mm. and it had like spider webs on it. And I was looking, I said, This is strange. People wouldn't leave a whole uh, sheaf, a hundred sheaves of tobacco still in a barn because that would have been worth, you know, thousands of dollars. Well, I was in there looking at it, and I was toward the back of the barn. And I saw this woman come in the door and look at me. She had on all white. And she looked at me and smiled. And I realized that I could see partially through her. And it terrified me. Absolutely terrified me. It was a white lady, dark hair, right. youngish, probably no, no older than 30, the early 30s. And I ran through her all the way home, um, told my mother, obviously, and she said, you didn't see that boy. Go and eat supper. But that was my second experience. Why do you think that you have this ability? I don't think it's an unusual ability. I think people all over the world, I mean, there are a number of people all over the world that have reported the ability to see ghosts. I mean, there's mm -hmm. television shows about it. I mean, there's books written about it. I don't think it's an unusual ability. I just think it was something I was born with. And it actually runs in the family. Would you my say that? My grandmother, my sister, okay. my mother, um, my brother all have these similar experiences. So you're all gifted when it comes to the spiritual world? Yes. Okay, gotcha. Um, you've written a number of books, sir. Uh, Your Immortal Body of Light, The Miracle of Prayer, Signs of Mental Illness, Words of Prayer for Heal, for, I'm sorry, Words of Power for Healing, uh, The Secret uh, Secrets of the Spiritual. Sorry, and that's where the page ended. Um, where do you get the inspiration inspiration for your books? Well, I have treated thousands of people from all over the world, and I get mm -hmm. experiences that are just baffling and mind-boggling in many different ways. And I get it from people I work with. I get it from colleagues. I get mm -hmm. it from people I meet at seminars we give. So I have a lot of different sources. Why do you think that there's uh, such an insurgence 
of interest when it comes to spirituality these days compared to prior to the internet? I think the internet gives people a chance to uh, gather information about anything you can think of. It is one of the first times uh, in history where mankind has the sum total of human knowledge at his fingertips. And it allows a person who doesn't speak a language to search a Chinese mm -hmm. website or a Russian website or to go to Oxford's library or to you know, look into a book they, can't, they couldn't otherwise even know existed. It, it opens up the world of knowledge to the average person. And I think that has given us a way to look at the, the supernatural in a way that we really haven't had available to us. But would you, you know, my own opinion of the Internet is that it's the world's largest septic tank that man has ever created because there's more crap in it than anything else. There is a lot of that, too, but yeah. there's also a lot of knowledge that is very useful. There's like, a lot of everything. Sure there is. Sure there is. But how do you, how do you tell somebody that who is dead, you know, dead interested in, for example, ghosts, and no matter what they read about ghosts, to them it's real, because if it's in the internet, if it's on the internet, if it's in the etheric cloud, it has to be real. How do we... That's not, that's not necessarily true. The internet is unedited. That's and true. you can put anything you like on the internet at any time. Yeah. So people have to read it with a conscious mind. That being said, there's a lot of things on the Internet that are true that are absolutely fantastic. And there's things on the Internet that are absolutely untrue. You have to use your own discernment when you look, when you look at it, when you read, when you listen. Mm -hmm. But one should not go into it being totally jaded because evolution is involved in consciousness. And in order for consciousness to evolve, one has to look at both sides of reality. And some of those, some people really have difficulty examining reality with an open, you know, open mind. Open minds are something that have to be developed. It's not something we're all born with. So what do you, what do you say that people like me who are hell-bent on finding evidence and proof are not looking at reality with an open mind? Well, not everything that exists can be proven. For instance, if I were to ask you, prove to me you love your daughter if you have a daughter. You'd have a heck of a time with that. Not really. Not really. I'd have a very easy time telling you and showing you beyond a shadow of a doubt how I love my daughters and how I love my sons and how I love my grandchildren, how I love my wife. Sir, that's the easiest thing I can do in the whole world. That was a very poor Everybody aspect. I would believe what you would call proof. As a psychiatrist, I know this to be true. And as a psychiatrist, do you believe everybody who tells you things about the paranormal and supernatural world? Some people that talk to me about the paranormal are psychotic. Some are manic depressive. Some are telling me the truth. I'm trained to know the difference. I see. All right, stand by. We're going to be back on the other side of this uh, break. And Exonation, like I said, if you'd like to get more information about our guest this hour, his website is www. Wait, you got your pencils ready? That's good. TYBRO.com. This is the Exon. I am Rob McConnell. And this is a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network and on Simul TV around the world.
Explanation, uh, Dr. <clears throat> Dr. Mitchell Gibson is our special guest this hour. He is an MD. He's a psychiatrist. He is also a very well-known author, and he does a lot of work when it comes to spirituality and uh, New Age consciousness. His website is www.tybro.com. I understand that you and your wife did a consciousness uh, event at Carnegie Hall. How did that go, sir? Uh, we had we had a packed house that mm-hmm. was on August the eighteenth, uh, two thousand eighteen, mm-hmm. and um, it was a beautiful uh, Friday night. Right, and we were invited by the uh, curator of uh, Carnegie Hall, who had heard about our work, mm-hmm. and it just it was a life changing experience. The uh, it was funny. The lady that took care of us there, she actually gave us the dressing room that Frank Sinatra liked to use there. So she, there was a piano in there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of mem- memorabilia about him. So it was something I just will never forget. You said it was life-changing. How was it life-changing, and who was it life-changing for? Well, F- Carnegie Hall is, is one of the most historic uh, presentation halls in the world. Mm-hmm. It, um, it is a place where traditionally... It's been over 100 years since a spiritual teacher is presented there. Paramahansa Yogananda was the last spiritual teacher to be invited there. So it was historic because we were the first spiritual teachers to be invited to teach there in over 100 years. And we were following in the footsteps of a, one of my heroes, Paramahansa Yogananda. Now, now, I understand you did the master class on higher consciousness. Now, That's right. What is higher consciousness, sir? Consciousness occurs in different, let's just call them gears. Okay. There's a consciousness that we have as a child. Mm-hmm. There's a consciousness that we have as adolescents. There's a consciousness we have as adults. But then there's a consciousness that goes beyond just the utilitarian aspects of getting through the day, working, eating, having sex. There's a consciousness that allows us to commune with um beings that live in other domains of reality. That type of consciousness associated with enlightenment and higher perceptions is what we were talking about. In, in your experience, sir, how many different domains of reality are there? Well, physics says that there are at least 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, in order for a reality to make sense, uh, physics, the, the standard model of physics now accepts that there's at least 11 different models or different domains of reality. And I can pretty much agree with that, that in my travels outside the body, I've seen, I haven't seen all 11, but I've seen at least seven or eight, uh, eight to be sure. And reality as we know it is a lot more complex than the three spatial dimensions we accept with our uh, normal senses. When you have your out-of-body experiences, where do you go? What do you do? Uh, well, out-of-body experiences are unique in that when you first start having them, mm-hmm. you really can't control where you go. Uh, you, you leave your body. Uh, you can mostly walk around this plane of existence that we call Earth at first. And then you learn that there are doorways that exist in this plane of reality that will allow you to slip into other domains that are close by. I've gone into something that you can describe as the underworld. I've gone into the domains that look like something that's a little higher than Earth, brighter, different sorts of more elevated beings. Um, and so you can call them the underworld, you can call them the higher worlds, etc. But there are places that are, in some cases, even more real than our physical world. 
How do you find your way? They feel that way. How do you find your way back to your body? Well, there is um, there is a connection between the physical body and your awareness, and so it's not like you lose your body, mm-hmm. but you recognize that there's something that's calling you back. Like if you're like a hunger to right. get back into your physical form, and just thinking about it, following that hunger, you find yourself back in. Okay, but has anyone who's ever gone and had an out-of-body experience nearly never come back? There are some people that have died. I have read about those experiences as well. Unbelievable. Now, now with this, these alternate or these uh, domains of other reality, and I believe they're like quantum physicists, but really believe there's 11 others, um, is this where the extraterrestrials that, that are being seen or interacting with or these ufos that people talk about are coming from possibly i don't know Mm -hmm. i have talked to a number of people experts included that have tried to surmise where ufos and where extraterrestrials are coming from right the term extraterrestrial means extra land and so it doesn't always imply as many people think that they're coming from other stars or other planets Some people believe that they're coming from domains on our own planet, that there are places that we haven't explored on Earth that they live in that they're visiting us from. Some people believe that they are coming from other planets. Some people believe they're coming from other dimensions. There really isn't a really clear consensus as yet as to where they're coming from. But 2 to 4% of the American population consistently reports them. A number of people in this planet consistently report being abducted by them and having mm-hmm. contact with them. Right. So it's kind of hard to deny that they exist. And they've been being reported uh, for thousands of years. Have you yourself, sir, ever seen a UFO? I have. The first time I saw a UFO, I was probably about six years old, and it was a cigar-shaped craft that was hovering maybe 100 feet above uh, the forest near my home. It didn't make a sound. It was just hovering there. And as I was looking at it, it hovered in the air about an hour. Now, where we live was pretty far out. We were probably seven, eight miles away from any settlement or town. That's how far out we live. Mm-hmm. And, but when it took off, it just took off toward the north and didn't make a sound. That was the first time I ever saw one. The first time. How many other times have you seen them, sir? Too many to count. Really? Too many to count. Before I moved to North Carolina, I lived um, in Arizona near an Air Force base, near a military base. Mm -hmm. And we saw more UFOs than I could count. Is it possible that a percentage of what you were seeing were actually um, military experimental craft? It could be. Yeah, But it's still a UFO because you don't know. Being unidentified, it could have been military, it could have been anything. But I saw them. Why do you think they're here, and do you think that they pose a threat to humanity? You know, I think that there are as many different motives for them being here mm-hmm. as there are races of beings visiting us. I believe that some of them are benign. I be this, believe that some of them are altruistic, even, even that they might be trying to help us evolve. I think some of them are malevolent. Um, so I think that their motives are as varied as their presence. Do you think that there's a spiritual connection between the visitors and our own history, for example, biblical accounts? 
I think that some of the connections are spiritual, mm -hmm. and I think some of the connections just defy what we would call rational explanation. Especially the ones where you have cattle mutilations and people being abducted, and it, it, some of them just don't make sense right away. As a psychiatrist, have you ever examined anyone who claimed to have been abducted by ETs? Hundreds of people. Hundreds. And what is, their, what is their common thread? I mean, besides the abduction scenario itself. They are terrified. They don't want to talk to anybody about it. They're scared of what people are going to think. Mm -hmm. They're scared of their families and friends. They are absolutely terrified. So That's the common thread. It's, it's something that people are worried about talking about, mm -hmm. but that at the same time, they have a pressure to tell somebody. Well, what I was trying to get at uh, is, is there something that is similar besides the fact that they're scared to death? Uh, is, is there something in their, in their uh, ancestry? Is there something in the jobs they do? Is there something in their educational field? Is there something in their ethnicity? Is there something in their spiritual, philosophical outlook? The vast majority of people that I talked to were from the Arizona area, some northern, but mostly from mm -hmm. the Phoenix area. And the commonality you're looking for, as I look back through my database, I, I just I just don't see one. It was people young, old, black, white, rich, poor, mm. straight, gay. It just didn't matter. Children, older wow. people, it just didn't matter. They all had experiences. And they were terrified. That was the, if you're looking for a common thread, yeah. that was the main one, main one. They were scared, especially the children. I can understand a child being, understand, uh, being scared. But what was the main cause of fear for the adults? What they saw. They don't always see grays or human-looking mm -hmm. aliens. Sometimes they see insects. Sometimes they see absolute reptilian monster-looking entities. They were terrified. All right, you and I have to take our final break for this hour. Exonation, uh, if you'd like to get more information about our guest this hour, Dr. Mitchell Gibson, his website is tybro.com. And uh, we'll both be back as we wrap up this hour in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. Once again, send me an email. Are you a believer or are you a skeptic? Exxon at exxonradiotv.com. And don't forget, the Exxon Radio TV show is available on Simul TV by going to www.simultv.com and just go into the search engine, type in Exxon. It's also available on Roku and right around the world. And I'd like to welcome our couple of new affiliates. We have affiliates in India and we have affiliates in Los Angeles, Michigan, Detroit, and Florida. We'll all be back on the other side of this break. As we wrap up this hour with yours truly, Rob McConnell, don't go away.
Exxon Nation, our guest is uh, Dr. Mitchell Gibson, and his website is, are you ready? Here we go, tybro.com. Um, I understand that you had an encounter or a meeting with an Egyptian deity named Toth. When I was, when I was in my residency mm-hmm. uh, the first year, uh, we go through something called internship. Right. Internship is where you work 100, 120 hours a week, uh, including being on call, and you see some of the most difficult uh, psychopathology uh, of your career because it's kind of a trial by fire, if you will. Right. And one of the ways I found that I could deal with it better was by meditating. And so I learned to meditate and I uh, took some classes and I actually became, uh, I was able to learn how to meditate pretty deeply and achieve a delta state, uh, which is a very slow frequency brainwave state of being. And I learned that when I hit delta, brain, when my brain slowed down to those frequencies, I could get out of my body very easily, which helped relieve a lot of stress. One time when I got out of my body, It was after having been on call for a couple of nights straight, which is very difficult. One of the residents had gotten sick and I had to cover. So when I went home, I hadn't slept in two days. I got out of my body, uh, meditating, trying to decrease some, decontaminate myself from some of the stress. And I was floating in in the sky, which is something you can do when you're out of your body. And I saw this big ball of light coming toward me. I thought it was a full moon. It wasn't a full moon. The entity coalesced into uh, a traditional-looking image of the god Toth. We talked for a couple of hours uh, before I went back to my body. And that was my first encounter with that Egyptian deity. How many other encounters did you have with Toth? I continue to have encounters with him to this day. What do you and an Egyptian deity talk about? Uh, He gives me information for books. He talks to me about my clients. He talks to me about the world. I ask him about his world. I ask Mm -hmm. him about what he's doing. It's it's a relationship. How do you explain the traverse of time and space when it comes to meditating and contacting and being in contact with Toth and receiving information from an ancient Egyptian deity? Because he's still alive. He is ancient, but he is also present in the modern world. He did not die. He is an immortal. Do you really believe that? Yes. Why do you believe that, sir? Because I have a relationship with him. I've talked with him. Hmm. I've seen him, touched him. I mean, he is there. In the same way that if you ask a Christian, why do you believe that Christ rose and died for your sin? Mm-hmm. That person will tell you, because that's my faith. This is my faith. But they don't say that they've touched Jesus Christ and have had conversations with him. Some do. Some most certainly do. You know, over the last 40 minutes, we've talked about your encounters with ghosts, UFOs, uh, the people that you've helped with alien abductions. We've talked about higher consciousness, out-of-body experiences, and now talking with deities. What is it in you that makes all this possible? 
Well, that's a question I've been trying to answer for the last 15 years. Mm -hmm. It actually uh, made me leave the practice of medicine because I asked, that's a very astute question. It made me ask, why am I different? Mm -hmm. What makes me that I would have these sort of experiences, talking with deities, looking at ghosts, hearing about people being healed after you pray for them? Right. That's, a lot of, that's a lot of stuff. It is. And it, it's a lot. And it's a lot to accept. And it's a lot for me to accept having experienced it. Wouldn't that be a lot of responsibility on your plate as well, sir? And that's the reason I quit medicine. Because when you start having these experiences with a lot of people and mm -hmm. their families, people start asking you questions. One of the things, another thing that made me quit is I started appearing in people's dreams, which I still do. And I have no idea how that happens before you even ask. It still continues to happen. But I began to appear to some of my clients in their dreams. And one client became afraid. She uh, was concerned enough to call the medical board and said, this doctor's harassing me in my dreams. She was psychotic, so that was easy to explain away. But there's been thousands of people since her where that same thing has happened. I don't understand it. I don't know how it's happened. But I talk to them. I see them. They see right. me, et cetera, et cetera. If you have all these abilities, sir, which, and if you're to, able to do so much, why would you not want to maintain your role as a doctor and a psychiatrist to help that many more people? People who really could use your help in either... Because I, because I found a way to help them outside of medicine. As a spiritual teacher, as a spiritual teacher, I can still help, mm -hmm. I can still teach, I can still reach a number of clients right. without the responsibility or the risk of being a medical doctor and having people say, this doctor's practicing outside of his medical license, et right. cetera, et cetera. And which is, uh, brings a good question. Do you still retain your medical license? I do not. What was it like giving that up, sir? That was extraordinarily difficult. And in order to get a medical license, you have to go through college. Yeah. You've got to get into medical school. Mm -hmm. You've got to do a residency. You have to take national boards, the federal licensing examination. Uh, then you got to become board certified, which means oral and written. And then you have to practice and maintain that license. Right. So I had put a lot of time, energy, and money into that license. Right. But so many things started happening that were, I mean, just unbelievable to people that I didn't want to risk myself, my family being exposed to people that mm. just had difficulty accepting everything that was going on around me in my practice. So I made the decision, very difficult decision to let all that go and become a teacher rather than a practitioner of medicine, a spiritual teacher. What do those who have worked with you in the past talk to you? Uh, what is their opinion of, of the Dr. Mitchell Gibson, who was a a medical practitioner, a medical psychiatrist, and who now is a, a spiritual teacher? Um, there are people that I had. I had a lot of clients. I also mm -hmm. treated a number of celebrities, and I treated people who were Fortune 500 CEOs. I was one of the examiners for the nursing board. I treated other doctors as one of the examiners for the medical board. They want me to come back. They recognize, though, uh, and I've had a number of experiences with quite a few of those folks, it's names you would recognize if I told you, they, they recognize that there's something different going on with me in my life. 
and they respect the fact that I've chosen to separate myself from the medical career so I can explore it and understand it better. What about your family? How does what does your family think about that's, you being that's the... another story. <laughs> My family is Christian, mm-hmm. um, fundamentalist Baptist right. Christian. Very difficult area to um, address with my family. They don't accept it at all. Your wife does? My wife was the uh, daughter of a Baptist minister, very prominent Baptist minister in California. Mm-hmm. She, When she started having experiences, and it took that for her, she changed her belief and outlook on reality. She's no longer a Baptist. We've got about a minute and a half left, uh, Doctor. First of all, thank you so so much for coming on the show, and I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you, sir. Um, what are your final thoughts for the listening audience and viewing audience of the Exxon Nation around the world? A lot of people have a lot of questions. It's been an engaging discussion. You can find me on Instagram. Look up Mitchell Gibson uh, eight nine nine. That's my uh, moniker there. We also have a number of YouTube videos, about a couple hundred of them, Mm -hmm. and we have millions of downloads there. We also have a television show we did on the Entertainment Studios Network called The Living Soul. You can find the first season of that on uh, Amazon Prime. Uh, Okay. Now, without having the promotional aspect of it, what what would you like to share with the Exxon Nation was my question. Words of wisdom. Reality is much larger than the human mind can accept. And I think if we look at reality Mm -hmm. with the understanding that there's more to it than what we can accept, then reality will present itself to you in a much more open fashion. There are intelligences among us that their primary job, their sole purpose in existence is helping humans evolve. They are the same beings that took us from eating our meat raw and living in caves to building skyscrapers and going to the moon. Those same beings are alive and they still exist. So are you saying, sir, that humanity could not have evolved to do everything that we're doing? Not without help. All right. On that happy note, sir, I'm going to say goodnight to you. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. Like I said, this has been a rather unique uh, conversation. Uh, I don't believe him one bit. When somebody does not want to prove or provide me with any evidence whatsoever... Man, this guy went all over the board. You know, his ghost experience, UFO experience, alien abductions, people that he's talked to, higher consciousness, out-of-body experiences, sitting down and talking with with uh, Toth, the deity. I don't know if that was tobacco in that hut that he found, but whatever it was, it sure had an impact on his body, didn't it? Another interesting thing, giving up your your medical license. Why? I don't know. But he certainly didn't like direct questions, did he? We'll be back on the other side of this break as the Exxon continues with yours truly, Rob McConnell, from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. Ah, We'll be back. Don't go away.